Hello listeners, Steve here, one half of Cinema Decon. We are currently in a short hiatus from recording because, well, life happens. During this short break in recording, I'd like to shamelessly plug another podcast from the Sidereal Media Group, Music Rewind. Music Rewind features myself as the host along with an invited guest who comes on board to discuss a musical album that is special to them. Seasons 1 and 2 are fully available, and we were even nominated for a People's Choice Award for Best Music Podcast. Season 3 recently kicked off with this episode here, Metallica, Master of Puppets. We hope you enjoy it while you wait patiently for the next episode of Cinema Decon. Please follow and subscribe to Music Rewind if you do. Thank you for listening, and you will hear from us soon. Welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, we invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today to kick off our season three is friend of the show, Rick Hansen. Rick is a philosophy professor and also the guitarist and vocalist for the Sketchballs. Welcome, Rick, and thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Steve. And there is a certain inaccuracy in that sketchball statement now that happened since the last time we communicated. The sketchballs have actually broken up. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah. It's a long story, but basically I'm playing with a band called the Night Howls now. So there's a little, there, there's still some active musicianship going on. Well, that's good. Glad, glad you're able to keep that going. Oh, thank you very much. And, and you are a relative of some show regulars of ours and a music mentor to a few. Quite correct. Mike Broski and Danny Prokop are my cousins, my first cousins on my mom's side. And uh, I, I'm responsible for probably much of their musical delinquency as I am, the, I am their elder. And this album that we're going to talk about tonight is where it all began for me. And by proxy, in a strange and roundabout way where it all begins for them. Well, that's a, that's a great lead in. So let's, let's jump right into this. Uh, what album are you bringing to the table and how did you discover it? Okay. Master of Puppets by Metallica. Nineteen eighty six classic. The way I discovered it, this is a story in itself. Master of Puppets was my musical awakening. I never had my own music until the day at the end of one of the first, I'd say the first three weeks of fourth grade, it was sitting out on a desk. So there's this cassette tape. And this is night. This is 1986. This is the year that the album was released and probably the day, for all I know, it could have been the day Cliff Burton died, quite frankly. So sitting out on this desk in my fourth grade classroom is a cassette copy of Master of Puppets. 
Intrigued is an understatement. I look out and I see this dark, foreboding, eldritch thing with these string hands and this, you know, graveyard and this, or this red sky. And I'm just like, what is this? I, I need to know about this. And I turned to the kid who I associated ownership with and said, is this yours? Yeah. Yeah. Can I borrow it? Oh yeah. 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 I immediately took it and put it in and was just, we'll talk about the ways in which I was floored. I'm sure through the rest of the podcast, but, um, you know, I, I don't think I could stand up until the album was over, except to flip the sides of the tape because it was two-sided tape. And, um, I came back to school the next day and the same kid who I distinctly asked permission to borrow this from said, Hey, where's my tape? What? What? I had to, uh, I'm like, I'm, I, you said I could borrow it. No, I didn't. You know, one of those kinds. And, uh, then, so I had to rush home after, I shouldn't say, you know, after school, I'm like, okay, okay, I'll get it back. And I had to dub it onto a, all I had was this black and gray 60 minute blank cassette. It was supposed to be 60 minutes, which is shorter than the actual or longer than the actual album time. And it never quite fit. So there's another story that'll be connected to this, but that was my uh, regular listening of master of puppets was on this dubbed copy. So there, there's my, my tale of discovery, if you will. Oh, that's great. I, Personally, I'm glad you brought this one in because I hadn't listened to it in full in such a long time. You know, certain songs are always in the regular playlist. You know, they kind of come up, but I hadn't given it a full listen in quite a while. And it was just wonderful to revisit it. I had forgotten how good it actually is. Yeah. And I forgot how long the songs were. Yeah. The shortest is first track, but then there's there's mm -hmm. like three or four tracks that are over eight minute song oh, by yeah. themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that to me was one of the things that defined metallic, that it was about, it was the hardest and heaviest thing I had ever heard up to that point. And I was, I should probably say, I mean, I said fourth grade, I was nine years old in fourth grade. And so I was, that was my first experience with thrash because there was no internet, you know? Yeah. There's whatever you found in the grocery store in the magazines, basically. And they didn't really talk much about Metallica in Circus or Metal Edge at that time. Um, and that, that, that was my world, you know? And so it was my first time hearing what thrash was all about. But you go back and you realize like how, how much progressive stuff is in that album too. And, and how many classical influences are in the album. And that, those, I think, are the things that I come back to and that just blow me away every time. That's one of the things I love about this early Metallica is that, you know, going from Kill 'Em All through those first several albums, there, there's such a, an evolution of, you know, they're, they're learning and refining their craft. Yes. And, and Master Puppets is a, a wonderful product of that. Mm -hmm. And, talked about that in our ride the lightning episode uh how that was such a huge step from kill em all oh yes due to due to cliff burton and his influence on the band yes and and like you said with that classical influence you hear these interludes not just at the beginning of the songs but they'll they'll break into classical interludes in a metal fashion at very key points of several songs and it's fantastic yes yes 
So yeah, yeah, I think about the only song that doesn't really have anything of that nature is thing that should not be. Which is its own epic storytelling yeah. type of thing in itself. It's an invocation of Cthulhu, essentially. It's like we did it musically on Ride the Lightning and now we're gonna add the lyrics here. <laughs> They do have a thing for Lovecraft. Yes, they do. <laughs> or they did. <laughs> so you were already listening to rock and metal at the time, right? Is that what you, I No, asked? no. Well, no. well, I, okay. It was, I was nine. Yeah. This was my calling. Up until that time, I remember, I remember hearing Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC on the radio. I was a very small kid and going, this, this is what I like, you know, this is, yeah, there's something about this, you know, and, and not really knowing what it was, but being, you know, four or five and going, this is my favorite song. And, um, just always thinking that there was something lacking. My, my parents listen almost exclusively to this day to top 40 stuff from the 1960s, like freaking Bobby Vinton and, you know, Frankie Valley and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, that, that that is its own thing, but when that's your whole musical universe, it's just informed by that. It's it's a very very limiting paradigm, to say the least. And so nothing of that sort had ever made its way in until Metallica. So I have that sort of root and like those little experiences of ACDC or seeing an album cover. Or actually, there's one other thing. I'm sorry. I was intrigued very much and I could never get a hold of it. My parents wouldn't actually let me listen to certain things. I was able to get away with Master of Puppets. The dubbed copy that I heard cut out the swear words and damage incorporated. Really? Yes. They were, my parents raised a red flag even at Listen, Damn It in Welcome Home Sanitarium. They were like, well, wait a minute, where are they going with this? Even though my father swore like a sailor, still does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like the lyrics of Master Puppets, the track, there was okay to them. Just, you know, every, everything. Yeah. yeah, it's about drugs. You know, what? Drugs, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Chop your breakfast on what? Oh, those are those things you win at the state fair anyway, right? You know? <laughs> I mean, granted, it's not a, in favor of drugs. It's a, no. uh, it's an anti-drug really song. Not. So maybe they, were, maybe they zeroed in on the message. Yeah, it could be. And I think, I think their concern was largely this, that it didn't have any swears or sexually explicit stuff in it at that time. Uh, okay. It, it was maybe a sprinkling of satanic panic, but not. <laughs> I guess that was the era, wasn't it? The nope. satanic oh, panic era, yeah. Most definitely. And I was going to say, the thing that I was intrigued by before that I wasn't really allowed to have was there were some middle school kids that lived up the street from me that would skateboard. And whenever I could, whenever they tolerate my presence, I'd be up there trying to skateboard with them. And this was, this was the summer previous to my discovery of Master of Puppets. And they would listen to mostly hardcore punk. Like I could discern now that it's hardcore punk. I have no idea what it was at the time. I was just like, yeah, it's loud stuff that swears a lot. I like it, you know, but it, but it wasn't, it didn't captivate me the way that, that, that I think that, that that progressive and well-formed and classically inspired stuff that Metallica was doing. And then I found out that Metallica was into skateboard. It's like, yes, my two worlds are converging. You know, this is, they were, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Kirk, uh, James broke his wrist. I think not, it was right around that time, a uh, skateboard. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I had yeah. No idea. I remember seeing pictures. So one of the first pictures I ever saw was Hetfield with a cast. And they did designs like Pus had that artist that they worked with so many times. 
did designed a few boards. I remember actually drew, salivating over some Metallica decks that were in some of the local skate shops around that time. I'm, I'm envious that, that you got to discover this as a nine-year-old yes. brand new. That That's that's pretty amazing. I, I'm of the generation where we kind of, I'm one of many, I'm not going to say everyone, we discovered Metallica in reverse. Yep. So with MTV, you had the Black Album, so you had Enter Sandman, you had Nothing Else Matters in them. And so it was a bit of a, this is amazing. And then you go, you know, backwards, you got Injustice for All, mm-hmm. while also, uh, then you got Load and Reload. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is all right. Yeah. Okay. This is different, different. And then you keep going back in time, mm-hmm. and it keeps getting better. Yep. <laughs> so that was that was kind of a neat way that we all discovered yeah. uh, Metallica. But I didn't really dive into Master of Puppets as an album or Ride the Lightning. Those two mm-hmm. until after high school for me. My roommate mm-hmm. uh, in the army was a guitarist, mm. and and he just lived and breathed the great guitarists mm-hmm. of you know he had a wide range from say kirk hammock to ingve mm-hmm. uh, and, and he tried to get me to learn and tried to get me to understand it all and i couldn't it just wasn't it's not in my skill set yep. to be able to play but i appreciate it and, and that's where i really kind of learned all those other songs getting into you know sanitarium and, and others yep. and that's really the orion you know just mm-hmm. really pulling out the the great ones that uh, I hadn't really paid attention to before because before it was always battery master puppets and then the the album stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then the album because there's always other stuff going on. But with my uh, my roommate Zach at the time, he was really, you know, man, you need to listen. Yep. You can, you heard it, but you didn't listen. Mm-hmm. So for all you music fanatics out there, here's a great podcast to add to your must listen list. Nakedly Examined Music is a podcast about songs and songwriting. In each episode, Mark Litzenmeyer speaks with a songwriter about three of their songs, which you get to hear in full. Nakedly Examined Music explores what motivates creative decisions at every step of a song's creation, from the initial idea to the final recording. It also provides a picture of how a songwriter's work has changed over the course of their career. This is the ideal context for introducing you to new music, and you're going to come away from the podcast with many new favorite songs. You're also going to learn about legendary artists, and you'll get filled in on scenes and genres that you always felt like you should know more about. You may come away a better listener and a more inspired creator. Start listening today wherever you listen to your podcast. The link in the show notes, or find the show at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. So uh, walk me through the album, how you listen to it. Sure, sure. Okay, so... I'm trying to uncover all of the, it's almost, I've, I've been doing this for months ever since you invited me, so graciously invited me to this, but just sort of the archaeology of my listening, if you will, if that makes any sense. It does. And I'm, I, I want to hear, let's, let's go. Yeah. So, so nine-year-old me in fourth grade, going through some really tough times, just with a lot of different things. And, you know, basically, basically, I mean, to summarize it and not to make it into a pity party, the school I went to's idea of discipline was essentially a Skinner box. And I was somebody that was beaten hard against the walls of said Skinner box. <laughs> and the walls were starting to beat back <laughs> real hard that year. And so I'm starting, I'm experiencing a lot of that. Again, this, that, that's what I think attracted me to that image on the cover. I put it on and I hear this 
that classical intro to battery that, you know, there's the bass and guitar in there. And I don't know if that's an eight string bass, but there's, there's definitely like those low tones. And then there's that, I don't know if it's a nylon string, but damn it, it sounds like a nylon string doing that duet. And it, to me, it put me in this strange camp of medieval warriors. It's like they're sitting around the fire and this is what they will play. That's a great image. Yeah. Master of Puppets is extremely evocative. So there's this camp of medieval warriors and it just, you know, that right away there's this dark foreboding, like the fire is crackling in the background. And then that, you know, boom, da, 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 you know, come in with the drums and the electric stuff. And that's when the enemy attacks. You know, in the middle of the night, like, and then it's on. <laughs> and it's just like this, uh, when that, when that, when that heavy part kicks in in battery, it's like, you are getting psyched up for battle. This is the, are we, are, do we have any censorship in terms of our, our language no. on this? Okay. No. Okay. I, I mark all these episodes as explicit. So excellent. Well, I'm glad speak, to hear speak that. your mind. I shall. All right. So. Uh, it is fucking on the enemy has arrived and they are hitting us hard and we are going to hit them back harder. And it's just that, you know, so here's me pounding against the Skinner box discipline and bullying and all kind of shit like that going on in my school. And it's, you know, returning the reaction. Like that was that line, like right, right there. We are ripped and torn away. We're taking it. We are fucking taking it, but we are dishing it out twice as hard. And just that music is twice as hard as anything that I'd ever heard. Just that speed right away. And then, you know, and battery is, to me, battery is just a taste. It's like there's this initial salvo, you know, everybody's, this initial fight, it's almost a skirmish. And then the, then the real battle gets with the title track. I was so grateful that they invoked it in that season of Stranger Things that this summer, you know, was like, I was going to make the joke that, so you discovered this album recently, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Along with, you know, a third of the population of the earth. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm a fantastic old. scene. That was great. Uh -huh. They, oh, they yeah. really did that well. They did it. Absolute, absolute justice. I felt vindicated a little bit as I'm watching that with my wife. And as soon as it started, like, that's a master. Yep. Yep. Although the snob in me said, you know, I wish they would have done damage incorporated, but might've fit the scene just a little bit better, but so, so, you know, then master is the war and it is, I mean, I'm nine. I didn't have a copy of the lyric sheet by the second time I'd heard this because I had to give the original, you know, we called them original tapes, the ones that, you know, you had to buy and not just dub. Uh, and I didn't have that, so I didn't have any of the liner notes or anything like that. I had no idea what the hell they were saying, what the song is about. <laughs> I noticed they're saying 
master, master. Um, and, and, um, you know, like pulling, pulling your strings, uh, master of puppets, I'm Dorius Gray. I always thought he was saying that. Well, the, the the drug interludes of of Master, I, yeah, that's one that I picked up on on very quickly. As far as the, it was it was mm-hmm. obvious to me. You know, now I run through you. Now I rule you too. Yeah. Yep. I will occupy. I will watch yep. you die. I mean, that was those were just very blatant anti drug. And I don't know yep. their lifestyle during the this time. I don't know if they yeah. were into it or not into it. I or if they had friends that you know in, influenced that as far as had bad experiences. Yeah. I don't know, but it was pretty obvious. They were clearly around a lot of it. But that was not obvious to me at that age. I just knew there was something True. greater controlling this person that was singing this, you know? And I would, again, I heard half the lyrics just very, very just like the just call my name because I'll hear you scream. That was where I went. I'm nine. Just call my name Desalius Gray. That's what it was. <laughs> like, okay, the master's name is Desalius Gray. And if I invoke this guy, I'm in trouble. You know, something like that. And then like I was probably 10 or 11 before I figured out it was, oh, because I'll hear you scream. You know? One of the things I liked about Metallica and these albums was that I I could understand him. I mean, mm-hmm. Hatfield has has his growl, yes, and that's his that that is his style. But this was heavy metal music that I could understand. Yes, I could I could hear the lyrics. I could hear them. It wasn't like um, I mean, like I love Pantera, but yes, that style of of the screaming, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's Iron Maiden or other things, I can't understand half the chorus. So I'm just kind of mumbling my own things. But Metallica, I could actually get those lyrics. And I think some of it, you know, I got it when I was 10 or 11, but I think some of it was just being nine. You hear lyrics. Oh, yeah, the metaphors probably went over your head. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Like I said, there's somebody being controlled by something here. Like I'm being controlled by my school. (laughs) That's, I mean, however you want to imprint it. I mean, everyone has uh, uh, different ways of putting that on there. Yeah. Yeah. And just that, that song. At that time, more than anything else, was was the one that spoke to me. And Battery was that intro, initial salvo. Master of Puppets has it all. That furious introduction, which was one of the first things that I learned how to play on guitar. And and then that, um, all of those interludes, you know, and those guitar harmonies. And the one thing that bugged me about Stranger Things is right after the solo there's just just this thrashed out riff that only occurs one time in the song and that uh the the drummer in my band he, we were actually together in the sketch balls and in the night house simultaneously long story but he and i were talking about this and it was like there are certain things you hear that make you automatically want to headbang that riff right there after the solo every time i just remember literally thrashing around in my room to that constantly and it's the most uh to this day it is one of the most brutal things that i've heard in the best way possible 
just that riff. And it's right before what I call like the bouncy riff, the extremely classical inspired one. So there's this thrash, like like thing. And then there's the like, like that very classical. And I, I picture a string quartet and it actually does sound like you're bouncing a bow on a cello or something like that a little bit. If you, if you listen to it, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Then, and, and when I actually did play strings, I I used to do that. Like, okay, let's get this rhythm. Like, you know, that that sort of thing. So, so that classical thing, and and just all the like, there's the before that, there's the breakdown in it, and that breakdown was just like, uh, there gets that quiet, quieter, clean guitar with the broken chords, and then the harmony solo, mm-hmm. that melodic like. Uh, that every time i was just like it's like you've just been flung out into outer space or something that that that's how i took it is you're just in this very strange beautiful dangerous world at the same time and and there there's i mean i could go on i could probably do an hour on that song if you'd like (laughs) there's definitely uh the, the advantage of having the the two guitarists uh that can mm-hmm. that can both play lead obviously i mean both are are world-class guitarists uh yes i, I don't know do they consider themselves one lead one rhythm as metallica themselves the way that i've always heard it in interviews and things like that i mean james hetfield even you know dave mustaine was an original member of metallica mm-hmm. of course and i kind of agree with dave mustaine that the holy trinity of metallica is him hatfield and burton's um, so I'm, I'm old school to that, to that extent, I guess, as much as I, I admired Kirk Hammett, like right off the bat, you know, he was, he was my go-to person, like from, you know, the fall of 1986. And, and then it was him and Slash when I first saw Guns N' Roses when that album came out in the spring of 87. But that's another story. Have me back for AFD. How about that? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, um, appetite for destruction for those that didn't get the uh, acronym but but um that's my other pillar actually my my the two pillars of my early musical experience are master of puppets and appetite for destruction you can't go wrong with those two yeah and it was a it was a year well more than a year between the release of appetite for destruction and then justice for all so we had 86 puppets 87 no metallica activity uh, well activity but not an album because bass player died for one thing True. Um, you know, one of the principal architects of their sound, um, and then justice in 88, you know, but, but, um, Mustaine for all of the stuff that you can look up and, you know, some kind of monster and all that kind of stuff, all the friction he's had to this day in interviews, he will say myself, Hatfield and, um, Malcolm Young are the finest rhythm guitar players on this planet. You know, and I completely agree with that. Uh, for for Hetfield, is he is a rhythm guitarist and a riffer. He can pull off harmonies, but he ain't a shredder when it comes to the lead stuff. Okay, he is. It is all. This is all wrist downstrokes. It is rhythm, some melody, but you can't just pop them in a room and be like, "Okay, dude, just go shred the hell out of that solo." He he ain't gonna do it the way that that Hammett would, or of course Mustaine, or. Even Robert Trujillo, right? <laughs> Their current bass player. I mean, have you ever seen that guy play guitar? Uh, no, 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 no. He's he's amazing. 
to say the least. Uh, but but yeah, so no, they're they're usually rhythm band with harmony, rhythm guitarist with harmony support and vocals. I mean, without Hetfield's vocals, come on, yeah, you know, what would that right? Yeah, and and then Hammond is the the lead player. Okay. And okay. yeah, recruited from Exodus, of course, after Mustaine had his uh, behavioral problems in New York City. Who junk from Metallica? That's a uh... Yeah, like Steven Adler getting kicked out of Guns N' Roses for drugs. Famously, too drunk for Metallica, which was... Yeah. <laughs> too drunk for Metallica, yeah. yep. <laughs> but Megadeth, great band in its own right. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And yeah, that's a, that's a whole other... Anyway, uh, would you like... Shall we keep going through, like, tracks? Go for it. Okay, so... Master of Puppets in all of its wonderful, progressive, eight-minute-plus glory, right? For me, historically, as much as I get the Cthulhu lyrics now, Thing That Should Not Be was initially a bit of a letdown. Okay. It's, there's this furious stuff, and then it just kind of cooled off. Nine-year-old me, that it, it's it's seething anger beneath the surface. I guess it's probably the best way I can I can do a thing that should not be seething evil, right? It's, seething is a good word because I mean it's it's a breather for a bit. Yes, fr- yes. from a from a listener perspective and and from the nine-year-old anger, you know, perspective. You know, that's while you're taking a breath, that anger could be seething under the surface and getting ready to boil up. Yes. And the whole song just seethes to me and it, it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever break into the kind of melodic interludes that a lot of the other stuff does. And it doesn't have the just sheer thrash aggression that a lot of the other stuff does. It has its own kind of beauty and I've come to appreciate it, but early on, I was always like, Oh yeah, that's the one I'm gonna fast forward. So I'm sitting there in my Walkman in the car when my parents got the Beach Boys going. I'm like, you know, how much longer do I have to hear freaking, oh, the good vibrations? Yeah. So in no offense, Brian Wilson is a damn genius. I am not, you know, trying to, but I cannot listen to the Beach Boys to this day. Uh, my sister will tell you the same thing. Uh, we get my brothers will probably say the same thing. We literally, it's some kind of classical conditioning. We feel carsick. My father's a terrible driver. It's another story, but. I mean, to, to touch on that, I'm, I don't need to listen to their hits anymore. Okay. I mean, those, those are part of, you know, American lexicon so much. They've been oh, yeah. in your head, but I can sit and listen to pet sounds straight through. Yeah. It's a fantastic album. I mean, cause all, all the stuff that you never hear on yep. the radio, that's, that stuff is, is. And that's probably my cousin Alan, his implanted music snob, yeah. snobbery on me. So I'll, I'll claim it. Hey, that's all right. I'm, no, I am a, I will. But the, the, the beachy stuff, let's go, you know, surfing yes. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I don't care, but I can listen to the, whatever the name of that 
studio band because it wasn't really the Beach Boys. It no, was, you know Brian Wilson's studio yep. orchestra. They, they, they were amazing. Yeah, so. there's some Wilson himself again, and then well, you know, but that was the stuff that I was running away from big time when I was you know running toward puppets. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but thing that should not be was something that as a kid I would definitely fast forward. And it's taken me a much longer time to come around to it and to appreciate it. And then I will tell you about my breakup with Metallica. <laughs> That's another story. But we'll get to that. And then, of course, Welcome Home Sanitarium. For the first four or five years of my acquaintance with Metallica, I only heard the song right up to Got Some Death to Do in the end. I go, Got Some Death to Do, because that's where my tape cut off. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't get to hear that, that final solo with that just blistering oh, 30 yeah. notes and everything. Nope, nope. No, the ending of it, you know, it would, it would cut off there. But that song, oh. I'm in the Skinner box, locked away in the detention rooms and things like that. Welcome to where time stands still. No one leaves. I mean, it just labeled mentally deranged. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was like, these people get me. And uh, the intro to Sanitarium was about the second thing that I learned on guitar, too. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The intro and that that melodic lead solo. And, and, and that, that song, again, it brought back in, I guess, that richness and complexity that, you know, thing that should not be is more, it's a steady seething rhythm, just that dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. And then there's those progressive flights of fancy, if you will, that strange, dark universe, uh, that you hear in the classical interludes of puppets. And now it's being brought out in this way that I was like, okay, this is breathing again. This is going somewhere instead of just that steady drone of dun, 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 dun. That, that song was a great comfort to me. Again, you know, that really personal level of that. This is the stuff that I'm up against. This is the way that I'm feeling because I'm in it. I felt, you know, rightly or wrongly, I felt institutionalized in that way. And I'm not trying to discount the experience of people that were institutionalized formally in a much worse way than I was, but I, I, I had a lot of that feeling just with their Skinner box approach to discipline. In fact, I was labeled emotionally disturbed by the kind administration of my school and the way that they did it was they would lump anybody that was a problem, whether it was a developmental disability, uh, whether it was just behavioral thing, anybody that was, was labeled mentally deranged and we were chucked off into this classroom that like had all this shame and stigma about it. It was like, don't talk about that class. You know, it was very, the first rule of fight club, right? It was a whole second. It's like, nope, nope. You didn't talk about it. And I saw other kids cause you'd have to have these little goal cards they would give you. Oh my God. Then they'd write a smile or a frown on it. And I, you know, how many frowns or smiles you got was, oh, geez. Yeah. This is whether you got chucked in the, the ED class, uh, we called it a slur and I won't use slurs, but 
slurs for mentally challenged challenge is not even the right word, but that word, the R word is what they called it back then. And I apologize for that. But, um, you know, and so it's like, nope, you're, you know, we, nobody talked about it. You'd see people with the cards, but you'd be like, you don't have that. Nope. I don't have it either. La la la. You know, it was kind of like that. And sanitarium was the soundtrack. Even that first half of it was more than enough <laughs> at that point. I mean, it sounds exactly like what you, the, the lyrics are saying as far yep. as your experience, you know, where you're, you are forcefully in a situation where you have no control, you have to go through those motions and you're being, for lack of a better word, oppressed by the people in charge Yes, who you don't agree with what they're doing or what they're telling you to do. Yeah. And not, not to compare no. per se, but the, I mentioned that I listened to this album in full when I was in the military. Right. Right. And it was my first few years in the military that I was, uh, you know, rooming with Zach and that was when that was during my lower enlisted days <laughs> not necessarily in charge you know yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> and and so so this album had a lot of uh direct correlations for me during that time battery right off the bat the battle you mentioned mm-hmm. always had the same feeling you know artillery batteries and just that was the way that song felt to me and then me and my friend would would talk about this how this album uh this track especially the next track Oh yes. We're quite, uh, quite relevant. I mean, we weren't, we weren't, um, I, w- I wasn't in a, a Skinner box of, of that nature, as you, you were saying, Yeah, it was more commentary. Like, wow, this is relevant. And we would joke about it. We, our sarcasm was heavy in that we would quote the, a lot of these lyrics mm-hmm. and they would go way over the head of our, our senior enlisted or officers at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which thankfully they did go over their head. Otherwise yeah. it would have gotten. <laughs> Deep shit. Oh yeah. It was, it was all very relevant is all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm glad that we could parallel that experience. I mean, you know, just being up against this, like on this discipline that you fairly justly or not, you have to deal with it. It's unpleasant. And just this, this, it feels oppressive. It very much does no matter what. On the military side, a lot of it goes to just communication where you, as a, as an 18 year old, you don't mm-hmm. understand Yeah, you know, what, what they're telling us to do and what, the, what we were doing at the time is never explained mm-hmm. the bigger picture, discipline, cohesion, all that stuff. 10 years later in the military, fully understood yes. <laughs> you know, exp- life experience and uh, a few trips overseas will do that to you. But the, at the time, you know, I'm fresh out of high school and, and these old crusty guys are you know, making us do things. And it was just not, not really understood. So we, our kickback was music. It was always yep. music and, and we would just correlate to the lyrics. Way of, way of coping with it. And the military experience, I, I must confess, I don't have any military experience, but obvious, explicit military lyrics in Disposable Heroes. Disposable Heroes is my favorite track with lyrics on the album. Really? Okay. Bar, bar none. My notes for this particular song is, is this track is heavy, mm-hmm. musically and lyrically. Mm-hmm. To say the least. 
the uh, the the line that we would often just yell and at certain times was just always you know back to the front. Oh yeah, and that yep. that is one that would go over. You know, they would think we were falling in line, <laughs> but we were. We, yep. But but it was a, a direct a sarcastic. Yep. You know, swipe at him. Yes. Yes. Oh. And that is what that is what great art does for all of us, right? Enables us to. Uh, anyway, I'm not trying to get too philosophical. Pri- pri- privates, here, go do this. Yep. Yes, sir. Back to the front. Yep. This one definitely kicks it back into high gear oh, yeah. musically. I mean, this 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 one's heavy. Yes, it's it, it may be the. It's more sustained than Damage Incorporated. And for me, the heaviest on that album are between that and Damage Incorporated, between Disposable Heroes and Damage Incorporated. This one could be on Kill 'Em All and it would fit right in. Mm, I don't know. I think it's a little too sophisticated for Kill 'Em All, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Well, that, that would that would be the reason it wouldn't be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as far as it's. Yeah. In terms of I its expression. Yeah, but it, I don't think. I mean, yeah, we got metal militia and stuff, but even. You know, I hear Kill 'em All. Kill 'em All was was just sort of like we're rebelling, but we don't really know what we're rebelling against yet. You know, they're practically teenagers writing and recording that stuff. There's the industry, there's the fake people, all that kind of stuff. But Puppets is more it it's just as rebellious, but it's it's more mature and systematic. I mean, here we have oh, this definitely. Yeah. You know, this, this whole, just the, the futility of warfare, the way that he uses people, the way that, you know, the, I mean, the title is disposable heroes for crying out loud. I think it's still, Oh yeah. There's, there's yeah. no subtext. No, cool. not none at all. <laughs> but I think it, it also like, it is firmly and fully em- empathetic to the people that are on the front lines. Yes. I, and what it did for me was one of the things that has colored our family. And I don't know how much Mike and Danny have gotten into this, but, um, our grandfather was, he fought in Southern D-Day. So he was there. I don't know if he was on the front lines, but he was in that battle. I think he was a sergeant by then, a technical sergeant by then, I'm pretty sure. And so his PTSD you know, which was unacknowledged and never fully processed in his life. And our grandfather had a very positive experience, a very positive influence, I would say, on all of us. I I looked to him for so many things, it's not even funny. Passed away in 2008. But that song enabled me, even at the age of nine, to feel some of what he felt. And I don't know if that's too much of an an extension, but it enabled yeah. me to step into that world of like, fuck, fuck, this is what he went through. This is why he doesn't want to talk about this stuff, you know? And and just like that that intro, my God, starts off just, you know? And I hear in that sound, the tone, and, you know, the culture I'm raised in is 80s, Cold War. You know, that's when this thing's coming out, it's going on... There, I don't know if there anybody was doing this deliberately or consciously or not, but God damn it, they were priming us to be warriors. You know, it was all over the media. Everything I did had a gun. 
you name it. They were priming us for that. And I knew the sound of machine guns, like not up close and personal, but from all the cartoons and movies and things that bum, 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 all I could hear were these fucking cannons, just like, you know, it's, it's like, this, it's like the rhythm of some heavy ass artillery you were in. I don't mean to, I hope I'm not speaking out. No, I, I don't want to make any illusions that I was you know, kicking indoors over there. I was, uh, I'm a signal soldier. I provided the internet. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I did my my convoys with the with the best of them, and I was there and did what I need to do. Mm. Uh, but I was not frontline infantry. Okay. My experiences were were to to circle back with a better understanding of of why the discipline and and why why the training and breeding of the warrior is needed is because when when I did go overseas, I wasn't a private anymore. I had upwards of 30 guys underneath me and i i had i was that old guy more a man more stripes you wore I, I was that guy who the young soldiers were telling jokes going over my head yeah now they were right they were they were talking about hoobastank or something and you're just like yeah <laughs> but but i will say it is pretty awesome when you're rolling down a convoy and there's speakers blaring out and it's the gi joe theme from the 80s no nope. oh god so, i mean right there on that on that branding thing you mentioned as far as nope. from the 80s nope. that i mean those were the guys in the trucks, in the Hummers going down, uh, you know, route Irish. That was what we were doing. And it was, uh, that's, that's what we were playing. Wow. And so everybody had, uh, this was at the beginning of, of MP3 players when I was there, everybody still had, you know, their CD sleeves, but some of us did have, uh, especially the combo guys. We were the ones with the, the zunes or whatever at the time with, Hey, we got 300 songs. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah as, and and just happened to be you know cartoon themes from the eighties, but then also this whole album was played all the time out on those convoys. It absolutely was. Yeah, right, right, and right there with the Team America, you know, theme. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> oh my God, and that, but but that, like I said, it let me step into a lot of that, and I hear this heavy artillery or something very heavy, and I pictured my grandfather just i didn't know he was in d-day when i was not like that didn't come out until later but i knew he fought in world war ii and he fought battles and he was he was wounded and i'm not he i know he got a purple heart um and it, uh was it gonna say and um so that i'd always imagined that right at that be you know and it's just like you there's this the beginning it's like there's this heavy fire coming in and then it stops for a second and this that the rest is not a rest it's panic it's like oh we just took heavy fire and now the really heavy shit is coming oh fuck oh fuck fuck oh fuck like that's how i that's how i hear it it's that that slide symbol whatever that is is some big badass thing about to drop out of the sky and kill us all like that is how that shit sounds to me In incoming is is not fun that that one i can attest to yo and I, I i was able to tap into some of that and i'm just like god that must be what that feels like to some extent and again i haven't been there you have and i i, I hope i'm not no you're good you're fine you're fine okay, watering down uh, that experience or okay. My both my grandparents fought in Europe as well. Okay. Uh, one died before I was born, but mm. the uh, uh, my other grandfather he he wouldn't talk either. No, he he would not speak to me, or he just not. No, I'm saying I'm not saying he wouldn't speak to me about it. 
it was just never brought up right uh, until i was actually in the army and then he started like yeah then it was like a he, he started asking me questions and and talking about his his time uh in the military so that was kind of a a neat bonding at the time oh wow but yeah up until uh that he had never really mentioned that he was over there well it was all just fa family word of mouth yeah Oh my gosh. Yeah. Our, our grandfather wouldn't hit me little things occasionally, uh, but it would never be acknowledged. And so this again, and he was always like, he was very reserved. Like he, I mean, if you've seen the wit of Danny and Michael, obviously you're very familiar with it. That's where they get it from. He, he was one of those people like he could keep a perfectly straight face and everybody around him would just be falling on the floor laughing. You know, but he'd just be like, oh, and he'd be smoking his camels and just like, oh, that's pretty funny. Or he'd just smoke like this little and be done with it, you know, like that. But just, just very reserved. And I don't know if he was like that before or not, you know, because there's no way I was ever going to be able to know that. Yeah. That, that intro then. So there's after that slide when there's incoming, mm -hmm. then the really bad shit comes after that. That that rhythm right after that, every time I hear that, it, it morphs from my grandfather in D-Day, D -Day, realistic, oh my gosh, trauma, to some kind of fucked up Tolkien-esque battle figure that probably looks like something off of a Danzig album cover. Of course, Glenn Danzig's one of James and Lars's favorite musicians. In my imagination, when I'm hearing the song, so there's that that slide that, and then it goes into that, and it morphs into this Tolkien-esque battle where there's these bizarre orc-like skeleton-esque things that are being knocked down by this Danzig-esque female figure that's flying in on a black dragon. And there's this pop, pop, you know, it's like bodies getting thrown left and right by some unstoppable force. And then that like filtered wah melody comes in that and that's when the real bad shit, it's like they have arrived and you're dead. There's skeletal hands reaching up from, you know, like gigantic skeletal hands reaching up from under the ground. This dragon is spewing fire all over the place. Like death is here. And then it picks back up. The battle resumes. Nope. You know, you're dead, but you still got to claw each other's eyes out like this is fucking valhalla stuff going on after that and then then you know it, it actually it doesn't really take a breather but it slows down right before the lyric come in and of course the first line is bodies fill the fields i see oh, oh yeah they, they, uh, there's no pulling punches at all he paints a picture to say the least no flinching on that one and i don't think hatfield ever had any military experience either yeah, yeah, I wonder if uh, his family did or not. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. I wonder about that. I know his parents were Christian scientists. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know if that, because I don't know if they had more pacifist leanings that would have precluded them from that, but but I know that. Um, but in any case, that that picture just, just has stood with me. But my favorite part of the song, actually, and this is one of the things that I think gets overlooked in a lot of thrash metal. Thrash to me is at its best when it is aggressive. Of course, we all get that, but also progressive and also has 
a groove. That groove is there. Fucking Public Enemy heard that in Slayer. That's why they sampled them all over the place, right? There yeah. is this intense groove to all thrash metal if you really listen to it. And I don't know why it seems like people can't hear it. And they're like, oh, Korn invented groove metal. I'm like, fuck you on a number of levels. But, you know, not that I'm not trying to diss them, but they didn't invent groove metal. That was there a long time before Korn. And, um, there's the call and response part of disposable heroes and why am I dying? Right. That whole part. You listen to the thimble work that Lars is doing. And there's just these, these little flourishes and things that just have this groove that like the image that's in my mind during that call and response part is a dance macabre. It is medieval people dancing in the graveyard with relics of their dead relatives. And of course, in my imagination, the dead relatives are popping back up, you know, dancing with them, like the dead are reanimated and dancing along in, in, in that whole part. It just, it just, it does that. It did that to me from the get go listening to it. And it still does it to me to this day is just, there's this groove and these, you know, dead bodies just getting up and just shaking what they got basically probably the best <laughs> way and stuff falling off of them, you know, as they, as they go. Uh, but, but, um, you know, and, and, and just the way it picks back up so many times it gets, you know, it never, never mellows out, but it, you know, it takes these little almost pauses because it just, it's like, you just can't take anymore. And then goes right back into it. Never, ever, ever lets you up. And then they're like, okay. All right, time to time to reprise thing that should not be maybe a little bit with <laughs> with leper beside. <laughs> So Leper Messiah, I had an issue with that song. It was another one that I had to fast forward a little when I was a kid and that I appreciate so much more now. The reason I had to fast forward it, this is almost petty. The kid that I initially borrowed Master of Puppets from, I came to love him to death. I haven't spoken to him since the 20th century. I'm not going to name names. And it wasn't any falling out. It was just sort of drifting apart after middle school. Yeah. Um, it, it, but, but he and I had this strange off again, on again friendship all throughout elementary school. And I think some of it was the mutually unacknowledged. Yeah. You're in the bad class, aren't you? You know, kind of thing. You know, I was never quite cool enough. Sometimes it was one of those things. And, um, there was a, a moment where he played leper Messiah as part of some performance. I don't remember all the context, but I remember him coming in with leper Messiah and this other guy who was cooler than me, you know, and just having this like jealousy and just like, Hey, that's my album. What the f no, you know, <laughs> you know? And that's the one you, you know, you demanded back from me. And so I had like this weird kind of jealous angsty stuff about that and i couldn't really listen to it and that got compounded because it became 
a cliche in thrash and then other areas of metal too to always have a song mocking an evangelist and i don't know if metallica started that or not but you have it in i mean anthrax has make me laugh you know slayer has jesus saves right testament i forget the name of the testament song but there's a testament song that's like about the preacher is a hypocrite and of course there's miracle man by ozzy right so on and so forth so it became this like cliche after mid 80s stuff where, where a lot of my uh, my ethos was starting to develop was the um, um jimmy swaggart scandal and the jim baker scandal you know it's so, like they were i don't know if they were responding to those things or responding to a deeper vein of hypocrisy but it seemed like yeah, that thing is played out. And by the time I was jaded in the 90s, I was like, eh. you know, Leper Messiah is just one of those songs. God damn it. <laughs> but it, you go back and listen to it. And it has a great groove at the beginning. I mean, just that. And that's what this that's what this guy did for the intro that he used. Him and this other Cooler Than Me guy were walking in. They were basically supposed to do a wrestling intro. You know, like they're walking in like pro wrestlers. And they're doing like this kind of... You'll probably get this one, Steve. This bushwhackers kind of walk. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were almost doing that. So like this, da, 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 you know, <laughs> the little bushwhackers walk, and like it's a very danceable intro, you know. If you, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to call this a filler song because there are no bad songs on this album. No. Uh, but but it's probably the lowest rung for me if i had to rank all eight yeah this one would would be on on yeah. the bottom um minus thing that should for, not be for for the first you know two two three minutes it's it's kind of boring yeah but the back half of it is pretty badass yep You, you just got to get through the first half. Yep. And that sort of invocation of that witchery, right? <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, that's crap. <laughs> yeah, that, it, that back half of it is something else. And I think it was that sort of experience with that kid and then just dragging. And you're right. It drags if you're not preparing for it. And it's like, it's, it's danceable though. And then it drags and it's like... Yeah, I'm done. Let's fast forward to my favorite song on the album. Oh, Orion is is easily one of the best rock instrumentals of all time. Oh, God, yes. Bar none. It's just one of the best instrumentals of all time, I think. Depending on the, the time of day and, and, you know, how, I mean, Call Cthulhu and Orion, I mean, they're just, I, I could never rank either one of them as which one is better. There's, they're both yeah. phenomenal. But I, I would put this one up there. I mean, with you know Europa or Stevie Ray Vaughan's Little Wing. You know, oh, just, there's this, yeah. this is this track is a masterpiece. Yes, there's there's no doubt about that. I I would even I'd I'd put it up there with with all instrumental compositional music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Watermelon and Easter Hay, Zappa's. You know. Uh, like there are people that say, when I die, this is what I want to hear. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, I don't agree with that with watermelon. And, and for me, uh, Orion, it's like the, you know, kind of maybe slightly darker twin of that. I had a, uh, I had a burn CD that I made. Mm-hmm. 
way back in the day and it was just rock instrumentals and uh you know like sparks from tommy mm-hmm. and uh, others in all these tracks which i totally did not get from napster no not at all this that's right lars if you're listening no napster bad but this was the final track on that particular one because it was just it, that was the place for it it was the the anchor it just did you know tied the whole thing together and it's i, I can't speak highly more highly of this uh yes. song yes. it is evocative and it is transformative for me in so many ways just the way it fades in i mean the the song the whole album takes you on many different journeys but but this to me is just pure transport and there's so many images that are just really personal and really um just beautiful in this song to me and i'm sure everybody has their own resonance with it. but this one to me is begins with a journey in the nighttime and I knew that the song was Orion, of course. So it's, there's going to be, I was obsessed. I mean, you're wearing a Star Wars shirt. I can see right now, but so, oh, I my, am. my yes. first love top this one. I was born on George Lucas's birthday, the year a new, well, what was then Star Wars came out. Just <laughs> tell people that I had a kid once he's, yeah, he's like, I was born on Mark Hamill's birthday in 77. I'm like, oh yeah. Uh, so, but that was in, in high school. I remember that. And I was like, uh, but I'm a, I'm a star Wars baby through and through. Uh, but, but, um, so space, you know, sci-fi stuff. I was deeply obsessed with that as a kid. I wanted to, you know, be some kind of weird, uh, basically the first thing I ever wanted to be in this life was a Jedi Knight, you know? And back then we didn't really know what they were. The prequels hadn't happened. We're just like, oh, there's Obi-Wan, you know, don't give up your dreams. Right. There's still time. <laughs> well the second thing i wanted to be was slash and but but um what was i gonna say um they the um i mean orion just it starts off it, it's all movement for me you're being taken you're riding in the dark car at night and i'm sure there are many 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 nights you know that i was riding in the backseat of the dark car avoiding toys you know, and Orion was there with me for a lot of that. And, um, you know, just that, that, that way it fades in. Sounds like there's an organ, but I think Cliff Burton was doing something bass there. Yeah, I think there's a couple of the solos are bass solos, but they they're are. mistaken for guitar. A, a Cliff Burton trademark. True. And something that, you know, unfortunately Metallica lost along with him. I, I think they lost a lot that day. Um, but so just that, that fade in those, those drums to this day, I maintain that, you know, for all of his, um, crapulence, maybe in the popular sphere, Lars Ulrich is one of the greatest drummers in, in my experience and in my life, you know, certainly, uh, underrated, actually. I think underrated is a good way yeah. to describe Lars. Yeah. Listen to what he actually does. You know, I mentioned the symbol work in Disposable Heroes, and then just the stuff here. He just keeping the beat. You know, he, he's part of this interweaving of creating these rhythms, and they're they're in there, just right from that, right from the start. There, just that that first 
initial melody just coming oh my god and and that for me is like that that's when the spaceship starts to take off and then some of those there's guitar solos and bass solos or i should say guitar melodies and bass melodies interwoven throughout that whole thing and you know it picks up and it builds up and it builds up and then that breakdown that breakdown oh my god it is like it's it is sunset on a beach on a very distant planet that's probably the best i took that first part with those great uh, harmony bends you know whatever i don't mean to sing too much of it but I'm probably off off pitch anyway but uh you know that those those great harmonic bends that are there in that breakdown then it goes in so many different directions and i, I don't know if i can there's no way that you can ever adequately put it into words. You know, you just have to experience that song, right? But after the the melody, there is this. There's a part where there's a bass and guitar harmonies that are working together that, to me, always invokes for some strange reason. So in the middle of this journey to all these alien worlds, there's a part where it feels like you're holding a baby. I don't know how to say it other than that. Okay. Like, uh, there's a, you're holding this fragile infant in your arms in that, like, in the softer part where the melody kind of picks up after the breakdown, before the drum, before the drums come back in full force and back to that original reprise of reprise of the original heavier rhythm. There's just these few melodic moments where it's like there's this little. You're holding this infant and they're smiling at you. I don't know where that comes from, but that's been with me since the age of nine. I'm, I'm like picturing your your vision in a, you know, like the the animated kiss stuff from back in the day. Yeah. You know, yeah. Especially the space, you know, traveling on a guitar. Yep. yep. <laughs> I think, yeah, they land yep. on a, now they've, they've found a baby and they're on an escort mission for the rest of the song. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Could very well be. You know, Laura Danan or something. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, but exactly like, oh, here's this precious little. Yeah, now we now we got to You know, this is this is why we're marching back off into the galaxy. Exactly, you know, something like that because it definitely marches back off into the galaxy, and like that's the rest of it. Need to see a Mandalorian montage set to Orion. Yeah, somebody out there needs to do that. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, and, and if I could, I'll, I'll have to tell them the specific part where I picture somebody holding the infant. And the, the Disney owes us fifteen percent for that. You know, they'll anyway, no, they'll sue us for it. No, but but um, yeah, just have it all the have the Grogu on something else, right? There you go. But but um, and it just you know it goes back into that rhythm, and it just it's you're 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 back on that journey, but now it's. The reprise to me is like you are definitely floating through the galaxy and the way that it fades out always invokes for me those initial feelings of seeing the, the star wars scrolls at the beginning when the words start to fade out and to me they always look like the engines of spaceships receding in distance yeah. and that it's that kind of fade out the stellar fleet is moving off getting ready to jump to hyperspace or something no, that's that's a really cool visualization of the and 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 honestly, any great instrumental allows you to do that. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and, I mean, that's that's perfect for this. Yes. Is there anything more you want to say about Orion? 
No, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Because there's Damage Incorporated. There is. The, the finale. Yes. Which I only heard the intro and right up to Dying All Our Bodies Work as One. And then it would cut off in my original tape. That's what it was. What? So luckily they didn't hear the great, possibly the greatest line in all of metal. Fuck it all the fuck and no regrets. um i I never heard that line until four or five years later did did you get the the weird whispers though i mean did you got to the the... damage incorporated no no you you didn't get to those oh and i remember seeing people with uh the t-shirts that that said honesty is my only excuse damage incorporated on i remember seeing people with those t-shirts back then and being like we're Damn it, that must be in the part that's cut off. <laughs> like, I didn't get it at first. Like, that's a Metallica lyric. Oh. But the, the intro t- is those, those volume swells. You listen carefully to that. That's the three of them. Swell it, riding the volume knobs in their instruments. Oh, really? I always thought it was keyboards. Hmm. And the weird thing is, me as a nine-year-old kid, I hated keyboards. I don't know why, but I couldn't deal with things that I thought were like computer generated or artificial. I'll blame George Lucas for that one where it's like, you've turned off your target computer, right? You know, and I've got to use the force. It's got to be natural and organic. It's got to be real. Right, exactly. And so I was like, you know, I hear Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden saying, you can't play heavy metal music on a synthesizer. Than they did in the next album. That's another story. All those early Queen albums, they put it on the liner notes. No synthesizers. Right. Big capital letters on the, yeah. on the liner notes. Yeah. And, and so there was a part of me, you know, now I'm okay with it. But I remember thinking, like, even though this is keyboards, I still like it. But <laughs> what, it, what it really is, is that they're, they're, they're riding the volume knobs on the instruments. And they've got these lovely delay effects after it that, to me... Other people are going to get their own images, of course. But to me, those evoke sunrise, big time. And it's like if Orion, if the sun set and we blasted off into the galaxy, beginning of this, the sun is rising, this kind of cold morning, and there's these little pockets of warmth that are popping up as, as the mist is melting off. And it's just like this great image of just like, for whatever reason, being out in nature and mist burning off in the morning. It, it's very tranquil. It's like one of the most relaxing things in the entire world. And then, of course, the hard left turn. Yep. But the hardest left turn there is on that album, for sure, is that oh, it's a punch in the face. You know, it is literally a punch in the face, that first heavy, you know, it's like there's, they give you fair warning because it fades into that, you know, that, oh, crap. You know, and that, that to me is the fight, that, that song is the final battle. Metallica does that well, where they, they have those classical style intros, uh, probably influenced by, by some classical piece that I don't even know. No, they would, Cliff Burton died with him, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, just I say, I just love those those hard left turns where it just comes out of nowhere, yep. and then said it hits you. I, I love that. Yeah, 
Yeah, those classical, the, like I said, those were the big things for me was that progressive, which in, it was better if the progressive was well-versed in classical. And that's what made a good thrash album for me. It still does in many ways. But that, the thing about the intro to Damage is that it's almost ambient. You know, it's really not that melodic. Like there's harmonies, there's a certain melodic structure to it. But it's more just about like these, you know, like these sort of growing noises and things. It's, it's very, you know, it's it's not as structured as, it's certainly not a riff the way that, say, the intro to Welcome Home Sanitarium is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just that, that to me is that where it comes in with that punch in the face is probably the hardest moment in the album for me. I can see that. Yeah. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and then, you know, it just, that one doesn't let up after that. It is just brutality. It is a fight. It is freaking, you know, no holds barred, bare knuckles, uh, like people picking up body parts and beating people to death with them. Like that kind of stuff that I picture, so, you know, and I, I always thought that the whispers were weird. That's just, they always threw me. Yeah. yeah they just kind of come out of nowhere. Cause like I said, the rest of the song is, is this hard. It's true. And then, yeah. Damage incorporated. To me, that doesn't, though, to me, that's even more menacing. It's like, we have just pounded you into a bloody pulp. And now, it's like, it's just a little. Yeah, if you say it in a taunting manner to someone who's, you've just, you know, yeah. taken down, I could see that. Yeah. I guess that's how I always pictured it. Yeah. And to me, it's not letting up because it's no mercy. I literally just, you know, a few years later, of course, it was Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I literally just ripped your spine out. And that's the last thing I say to your head as I'm holding it in my hands. There we go. Something like that. There you go. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> but, um, when just, just those, uh, I mean, I, I'm envious that I, I never got the full effect of that song until it was, that was seventh grade when I, when I got the copy of that when I got an original of Master of Puppets finally. The reason why is my parents gave us $2 allowances. Tapes in the mid to late eighties were $10. So it took me five weeks to tape up for a tape. And I had my dub of master of puppets. So I'm like, got to get the rest of the Metallica catalog. My next one was ride the lightning, which for me was actually a letdown. Oh, yeah. it, not a, not a letdown, but I should say letdown is maybe too strong, but to me, it was never, it never quite achieved the mastery of master puppets the production is rougher and gnarlier on it the guitar tones are muddier 
there's this kind of precision in puppets that really characterizes more like we're transitioning into the later 80s now. Ride is, is more like this is the last gasp of the early 80s. And now we're transitioning into the later 80s. Things are crisper. Things are clearer. Here's some guitar geek stuff for you. They were using exclusively these older Marshall amps. Like from what I understand on, on Lightning, and I go back and listen to your episode too, uh, basically Fleming Rasmussen was sourcing all of the Marshalls he could find on the European subcontinent. Uh, but they had some Marshalls and they also had a Mesa Boogie Mark II C+, which Hadfield and Hammett dubbed Captain Crunch. That sound. That sound, to me, is the tone of thrash and the definitive tone for a metal sound for me. It's interesting enough because my, my uncle, not on my daddy's side, on my dad's side, was a, is also a guitarist. And he was actually active in a number of like more glam metal bands in the early 80s. Okay. He hated Metallica. He's like... I don't get this sound at all. Like, why do they want it to sound like they suck all the mid range out of it? Eh, I don't like this. It's like, there's no body to the, you know, there's no body to the tones and this kind of thing. And I remember him complaining about it. So it was, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then he, he was like 10 years later, he's like, yeah, I'm trying to get that sound like Metallica gets the first like, thing. <laughs> the one you ridiculed me for when I was done. You know, that kind of thing. So that Mesa sound was something that I didn't realize what it was, of course, at the time. God, it was probably, probably took me 20 years because I had a divorce from Metallica. Um, and that divorce came in the form of the Black Album. Okay. I was 14 when it came out. And I remember I was at a friend's house, not the same friend that I swiped the puppets tape. I grew up in Waukesha, Wisconsin. That's where most of my growing up was. My parents moved there when I was in first grade, about halfway through first grade. But I was at a friend's house in Waukesha and the Enter Sandman video came on. This was the summer after eighth grade for me. You could watch my heart ripping in half. They fucking sold out. <laughs> Not Metallic. Not my heroes. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Joe. It was like one of those moments. <laughs> like I can't believe I mean looking back on it I can see it was pretty much inevitable and I'm sure Cliff Burton was rolling over in his grave the moment they hired Bob Rock but you know if not before but it got him on MTV probably you know doubled their fan base it, it, it probably quintupled their fan base yeah and for, from a commercial and business standpoint it took Metallica from a mom and pop shop into a fortune 500 company. Yeah. I mean, black Album was what, but I don't know, 91, 92, 91 and 91. So, I mean, I, I didn't get MTV until late 1990. Okay. Yep. And, and so 91 was like my, I was glued to MTV. Yeah. What a, what a year to be glued to it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was great, but that's where it was like, who are these guys? I hadn't heard Metallica at all. It wasn't part of my musical. I mean, I, I came from rural Illinois oh, yeah. and, and there was a lot of John Mellencamp, a lot of Eagles, you know, just, which is all great music. I've seen him on the porch in Spring Valley, John Mellencamp. 
<laughs> That's what I always thought about. I was like, oh, yeah, this is hey, it's the Tasty Freeze. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the that was that was most of the music that I heard. Yep. So it, it wasn't until MTV that I was like, okay, who are these guys? Yep. And it, and it was it was, I'll say it was tame enough to lure me in, and I liked yep. it. Yep. And then and then my musical taste, you know, grew from that. Had I, at the time, probably heard if I had heard Lightning or or, or Puppets at the time, I probably wouldn't have gravitated towards it. It was. It was too much for my 11-year-old mind at the time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Black Album was perfect for me as, as my gateway drug into Metallica. Yes. And then then I, and then, so load and reload were my letdowns. So. <laughs> it's like, don't, don't worry, they'll disappoint you too. Just <laughs> exactly. Oh, but yeah, that, that's how it was. And, and when I, when I construct the narrative in my head, now knowing what i know i mean i i probably didn't realize that they had a bass player that died until i finally saw something about it in a metal edge magazine in like 88 so did you notice the difference between puppets and and justice for all i did but i liked justice uh i still like justice oh, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's a great album to me yes i agree it's a great album I still, I would put puppets as the pinnacle personally. And I think justice, especially nowadays, I see as a step down in 88, when I was 11, when justice came out though, it was like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. They've got these, whenever we're talking about justice basically, but they've, they've got, you know, the great classically fade in stuff at the beginning and they've got all the complex melodies and all the aggression. It, it's all in there, but. It, it basically, to me, in 88, it sounded like an updated version of the band. I was like, yeah, oh, this, this is great. Didn't take me to the same places that puppets did, but I was ready for it. I was, was ready for Justice in And that was actually the gateway for one of my best friends to this day. Uh, that's how I got him into Metallica. That was sixth grade. That's this is a whole other story. But but um, we're yeah. He he lives in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, we haven't seen each other since the, in person since the Black Album came out. But we came regularly. But yeah, that, that's another story for another time. Basically, puppets was my gateway drug to everything. I, I initially, when I heard it, I wanted to be a drummer. I was that inspired by the rhythms. Just the aggression, okay. yeah, and like the, just the, just kind of pounding everything out, you know. So, so I didn't even know who Lars Ulrich was because I just had my dub. Thing. I remember there's these guys. I think I got their names together. Like, it took me probably until sixth grade to piece that together, um, and maybe fifth grade. I had, but, but, um, you know, so I'm, I'm pieces together. At first, I wanted to be a drummer. I was like, yeah. And, and then I saw more pictures of Kirk Hammett and I was like, you know, I really like the melody too. And I was starting to change more towards guitar. And then I saw Slash and I was like, that, that, that's me. That's what I want to be right there. Man of mystery hiding in the corner. He had the sound and the image all packaged into one. Absolutely. He did. Well, he does. He I still mean, does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, even in a fucking Capital One commercial, he's in a Capital One commercial. <laughs> <laughs> But everybody's got to pay the bill. Eh, yeah. Then that's, a, you know, you come to realize that, but when you're 14, you don't have those critical sensibilities. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. 
this was the band. This is back to the Black Album of Metallica. This was the band who literally had Kill Bon Jovi on the headstock of one of their guitars. <laughs> and now they're working with Bon Jovi's producer. That's funny. Yeah, that was my experience of it. It's really funny. The, the drummer in my band um, has a much more similar. He's, are, are you 81, 80, 82? 80. 80? No, your mic's. Yeah. Okay. Mic's age, yeah. Yeah. So the drum, our, our drummer's Danny's age, 81. And um, he has the same experience of the Black Albums, basically. Like he said, there was a day when he went, and he's 10 years old, he went to a record shop and he got a copy of Nevermind and the Black Albums. <laughs> that was it for him. There you go. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So Master Puppets made the top of your list. What would be on your short list? Okay. So, huh. Appetite for Destruction. Matthew Sweet, Girlfriend. Okay. Yep. Yep. That was another hugely transformative album for me. It, it's hard to piece together all of everything, but um, probably Ask the Ages by Sonny Chirac. I don't know if you know that. I have no idea what that is. No. So, um, Sonny Chirac was a great jazz musician. His most, his greatest claim to fame was that he did the intro music for Space Ghost Coast to Coast on Cartoon Network. And I think he died shortly before that was released. Like he recorded it. Oh, yeah. He died that year in 94. Yeah. Chirac is the only jazz guitarist that has ever been listed in heavy metal lists and top, top tens and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sonny Chirac. Oh my God. My, my three biggest influences. I would say Metallica is just my general influence as a musician and probably as a bass player. And, but, but my three top three influences as a guitarist are Robert Quine, Sonny Chirac and Slash. Interestingly, <laughs> I don't know if you know Robert Quine. Is. Yeah. Let's say, forgive my ignorance. Who, who's that? Robert Quine played on Matthew Sweet's girlfriend. He's responsible okay. for the leads on the title track, for example, the famous song "Girlfriend." Uh, all that, all that crazy out there lead work. That's Robert Quine. Yeah. I know uh, that song, but I, I couldn't name you another one. I'm don't not, worry about it. Not well versed in his catalog. Yeah, he played with Lou Reed quite a bit. He played on the Blue Mask. Played with a whole bunch of people. He was in the CBGBs scene. He, he got brought up in our, our classic rock roundtable that we did during okay. season one. So, yeah, he got mentioned. Yeah. So, it's like, Danny better know who it is. Mike, Mike likes Pearl Jams. Well, no, I'm, that's enough. <laughs> We're going to be at loggerheads about that one no matter what. But um, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get you on some of our live streams. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah, they, they get a bit rowdy at times with uh, some conflicting music taste awesome. so that does that's that's the best but yeah some of i mean there's so much stuff it's it's hard to sift through but i mean those are those are very much top albums i'm gonna have to go with seventh son of a seventh son by iron maiden oh yeah another one that our mike danny and i are our uncle joe uh my parents requested you might know joe proko he had a, an electronics repair thing in the valley for like 20 years or something like but um, he's still he's still there, you know, my, my mother's brother. But um, Joe's a very cool guy. 
but but he had to read through the lyrics of seventh son of a seventh son because i bought it at the at the peru mall when i was down visiting for a week and i was like yeah I'll get this and my mom's like you want a tape you know she's talking to me on the phone i'm like yeah like oh you gotta have somebody look at it my uncle's like there's nothing bad nick <laughs> so but but that you know oh my god there better not be any bad lyrics in it oh I guess this was before any uh, parental labels. It was right around the time they were starting to come out. Because my oh, yeah. dad, to bless my dad for this, he bought me Appetite for, he let me buy Appetite for Destruction. I had to save up for it. It was like the third tape I was able to save up. I remember very distinctly buying it in the Kmart in Waukesha and my dad saying, don't let your mom know I let you buy it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and God, there's so, so, so I did Seventh Son. Um, you know, it's either going to be volume four or sabotage by Black Sabbath. It's hard for me to, to do between those. Um, you know, so it takes a nation of millions to hold us back by public enemy. It's going to be on the short list too. That's uh, yeah. Public enemy is that one that I don't think anyone's mentioned on any short list so far. So yeah, that's, that's a new one. Yeah, I I hear that album in my head on a daily basis. I think almost rain in blood. Slayer. I, I had another roommate in the military that was a big big into Slayer. He, he was a bass player. Oh yay! Yeah, awesome. So yeah, I rain in blood is. I don't know if it's that or seasons in the abyss. It's the peak of that band from. Okay. That's got to be one of those. I like South of Heaven a lot, but Rain and Blood is, Rain and Blood is like, it's a nonstop. It, it doesn't let up. You know, but like, like there's, there's, there's no breaks. There's, there's no real, there's sort of breakdown, but not really. Actually, my current band, The Night Housing, I originally joined them as a bass player. And one of my favorite moments of my life as a musician was, there was a moment at a practice there. We were going to do a gig. It was the first gig I was going to do playing bass with them. And they were like, oh, we need one more set for the song. And we were like, we've been fooling around with Raiding Blood. And we did it. And just like playing that song for the first time, there's video of it somewhere. Just a smile on my face. <laughs> this was kid in a candy store stuff. Right Pure there. joy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that song grooves so hard. Oh, my God. Like there, there's so many places where there's just like pure aggression, but then there's, there's just, just so many, just great grooves in it. Like the sort of breakdown where it probably goes from 180 beats per minute to 160 per minute or something. <laughs> the whole thing where he's going off about souls from my treasure is past. Now there are ornaments dripping above and like, all oh, that kind of <laughs> sorry, I, I, I don't mean to keep, now we're way off puppets. And there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, heavy metal headbanging it's mm-hmm. not not my thing it's all it's all trash uh it has, there's a lot of technique and there's a lot of yes. art in there that can go unappreciated if if someone just doesn't listen to it say and that what goes with any any genre of music my recommendation to anyone out there is don't don't write off anything just because it has that label because puppets in particular uh you know has that uh, just just the high level of technique that yep. we've that we've hammered in already on on this podcast. Oh yeah, but the Slayer and, and Iron Maiden, 
when you if you get past the you know some of the lyrics are nonsense there you know yes rain and blood blah blah, blah. okay angel of death oh uh-huh. sure but when you that's when you actually that, about Josef Mengele what's that that's about the Nazi doctor Josef Mengele angel of death mm-hmm and it is oh. not an homage it is the full horror of what that piece of shit did yeah that's another level of the technique that yep. some of the lyrics if you can get past uh, if you're not into the delivery of them if you actually get into the lyrical content they can be deep they can be meaningful and you make them away with a new appreciation of it because yep. it is definitely to to me it's a it's a very specialized genre of music that is not easy to do we completely agree it requires absolute mastery of the instrument for anybody that's getting guitar that iconic riff in the title track master of puppets is all fucking downstrokes james and kirk have admitted to using up and down strokes when they've played it and dimebag daryl actually like chided them about that he's like come on gotta stick with it <laughs> but but the recorded things all downstrokes if you can pull that off you've got some serious speed and precision in your right hand and then you get into the the guitar harmonies so yes. they're playing that fast yeah at this i mean in harmony that's i mean wow yep exactly it is that is unparalleled musicianship and said so metal musicians in general i mean just extremely high level and there's a a lot of crosstalk i mean for example probably one of the greatest metal guitarists of all time is alex skolnick of testament skolnick has a jazz trio that he tours with regularly you know oh, that's cool yeah and there's there's a um there's such crosstalk between jazz classical and metal and it's unappreciated by people that are, are put off by the prima facie aesthetic of of metal of the first phase right aesthetic of, of metal if you will well before we wrap this up please tell our listeners if you're working on anything where they could find you or anything you'd like to pitch Sure, sure. Um, well, um, you can find me, uh, Night Howls, Wisconsin. Uh, we There's two Night Howls. There's one that's in New Mexico, and then there's us who are in Wisconsin, so it's nighthowls.wi. Uh, we are working on some new material, which will feature my guitar and vocals for the first time, um, and, of course, the other guitar and vocals, and absolutely fantastic metal-inspired uh drumming i i wear many hats i've realized that in my life <laughs> but i play bass sing and, and do guitar in that band now and um i teach at uh, uw whitewater at rock county if anybody ever wants to come and like learn philosophy or religious studies or women's and gender studies from the perspective of a metalhead um you know i'd be i'd be interested to talk any of those things with that sounds like a fun class actually <laughs> We got to title it that way, though. Nice shot, you know, metalhead right? perspectives on gender. Hmm. Something like that. You'd be surprised, right? There will be some new Nighthouse stuff that we're hoping to have up by the summer. It's going to take us a while because we've, we've all got lives, <laughs> I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know if there's there's anything that's not ac- too academic that I can, that I can announce. But I don't know what else to say. Ulrich, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk with you about Metallica's Master of Puppets. 
pleasure was all mine, Steve. It was wonderful to meet you, and I'm so glad to talk about my favorite Metallica album with you. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll have you on again. We'll we'll get you on the live streams, and uh, this was fun, a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun for me too. Thank you so much. Someone made claim appetite for destruction, though you never know. So, <laughs> if that's in the works, that's okay. It's not currently, but season four is a long way off. This is the kicking off season three. If, if nobody's claimed it, I'm going to stake mine. I'd like to thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are many ways to help the show, such as our Patreon or affiliate links in the show notes. The easiest way, though, is to give the show a rating or comment wherever you listen. We really do appreciate it. Thank you again, and as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.